It's time for building the game. Building the game. With Jason and friends. From tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday september 27th and you're listening to episode 487 as always i am your host jason today joined by the co-host of board game blitz the co-host of the dice tower tonight crystal dax hey crystal how are you doing I'm doing awesome, especially because I get to hang out with you for a little while, and that is very exciting for me. Same, the same. So we were talking beforehand, we we met um, actually online through Animal Crossing, thanks to our, our co- uh, mutual friend, Flip Flory, uh, yeah. back in the beginning of the pandemic, in uh, Flip's little board game group he had going on there. <laughs> so, I was in a lot of Animal Crossing you, groups at that time. That was the like, only I, one I was in. I was in discords and Slack channels and Facebook groups. Like I, I won't lie. Um, my husband and I split up literally like the week that everything locked down for the pandemic. Like that's when he told me, you know, we're not going to be together anymore. And so I lived in animal crossing for a while. And honestly, that was pretty lovely. Not going to lie. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll tell you what, like for me, like, um, Animal Crossing like really, really saved my mental state. Uh, and I think my wife's a lot too. She didn't play, um, but like we would just sit there for two hours a night and I would play and she just watched and she was so happy. Like she's oh, like, I don't awesome. want to play. I just love watching what you're doing. And we'd just chat and like, like it was just, it was, yeah. I mean, like I, we, I saw this joke that said, you know, yesterday uh, or uh, today for the first time, like 10,000 therapists are hearing about animal crossing because it was like <laughs> it was amazing so <laughs> do you still play at all or no not really no it's been honestly it's actually been about a year since i really like dove in Same. i've, I've yeah. booted up the game a couple of random times since then and i thought oh maybe i'll get back into this and i just it, it hasn't struck me quite the same way, especially right. because when right. I was playing, I was playing every day for like five months and mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. burn out on it. I just got what I needed to get out of the game. Yep. And then same I was thing. kind of, yeah, just kind of done. Like same it, thing. nothing bad. And I, yep. I wouldn't mind if a friend was like, I really want to play some Animal Crossing with somebody. Can we, you know, I would be totally down. I just have no, there's too many good games in the world. And like that yeah. one, I'm like, I've played it a lot. Yeah, no, I, the same thing with me. Like I, I played it every night, almost every night for five months or so straight, uh, just like you did. And, and, and I accomplished everything I wanted to, like, I completely, like, I had these dreams for everything I wanted to do to the Island and I did all of them. And like, and then as I was getting into it a little less, my kids were really into it. So I created characters for them and they got to build little houses on my Island. And, and then for a while they kind of took over cause I wasn't playing as much. Um, yeah. And now they don't play as much either. Like when the Mario stuff came out, we got real jazzed and played for like a day. And then I was like, this is neat. But it's just like, like I was like, if I hadn't already built my entire island and wasn't super happy with it, I would have made a Mario island. But there was no island to make because I'd already done it. So, yeah, um, I yeah. had those fleeting moments where I considered like wiping everything and starting from scratch. But honestly, that just sounded like a lot of work. <laughs> Doing yeah, it a right? time. <laughs> yeah, I, I just wasn't like, like, my, so my biggest dream of that was to have an island on the island and have my house on that island on the island. Uh, so, so like, I did that. Like, I, I created an island where I could make 
Oh no, the island actually had it. Yeah. So the island I picked had a little island in it, but like you don't earn the ability to like build bridges and stuff forever. So yeah. like I had this house and I was like, I couldn't wait, man. I'm like, I'm going to move this house as soon as like, and it, like, it was like two months in when I finally was able to move my house over to the island. And then after that, it, it just got less exciting. I was like, well, I accomplished my goal. Like that was the whole thing. And yep. now I don't know what to do. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got, when I, toward the end of my plane at regularly, I got so bored. I don't know, not bored, but like I just needed something new. I literally created mm -hmm. a game show on my island. So that way when my friends came to visit, they could play the game show. I used those spinning wheels mm -hmm. and like I had mm -hmm. this setup where based on what you landed on, it took you down a path. And then I had a whole bunch of random expensive items gift wrapped and you like got the one that you ended up at or whatever. Like it was Did you fun. Did you tweet about that when you did that? Because that sounds familiar. Probably. Yeah, I don't okay. know. <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> I think I remember, I, you may have shared it like in our group or something too, but I, I, I remember hearing about somebody doing that. So yeah, yeah, I think I definitely would have shared it in the Facebook group. So it, probably there. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, that is not, I did not expect to talk about for five minutes about Animal Crossing at the beginning <laughs> of the show here. It's great though. It's a nice, it's nice memories, you know? It is. It's, I'm, I'm very fond of it and I'm very grateful for the experiences yes, that it gave me. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it literally like, it's almost like Nintendo had a crystal ball and was like, this is when everyone's really going to need this. Like it could not have been better timing, you know? Really? Also for have. the sales of the switch. Cause oh, yeah. all right. <laughs> oh, so, um, so yeah, 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 yeah. Um, all right. Well, hey, um, I was thinking, uh, let's uh, normally we would uh, talk about a topic first uh, and we've got a topic we're going to talk about. Um, but I wanted to just take a little time to chat about like, you know, you're a Twitch streamer, podcaster. Um, and I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about like what, you know, what what your shows are like and what you do uh, with those. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've been making board game content in one form or another. Um, oh gosh. I technically going back probably like eight ish years. Um, I started off doing written content um, for a really tiny website uh, called we the nerdy.com. Um, and then uh, six years ago, um, I was on Reddit and I was hanging out on the board game subreddit a lot back then. Um, and uh, someone posted on that subreddit and they said, what's missing from board game podcasts? Like what, what doesn't exist? And a couple of themes kept popping up in the comments. And those two themes were, there aren't enough women and there aren't enough short length podcasts. And myself, um, Cassidy and Ambie, none of which who knew each other in any way, shape or form, all commented within that, that thread and said, I could do that. And so then we started privately messaging each other on Reddit and we were like, could we do that? And we started talking on Facebook and Cassidy was pregnant at the time. And so we waited until Cassidy had her baby. Um, it was about eight months or so from when we first started talking to when we launched the first episode of Board Game Blitz. But when we launched, there were no board game podcasts hosted entirely by women, not a single one. Wow. And yeah, and that we launched in spring of 2016. So it was just a little oh, over that's, five that's years. That's even ago. worse. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. My gosh. Like, not one. And uh, 
so, you know, my, the, the mindset I always have about problems like that is I can complain about it or I can fix it. And if I have the ability to fix a thing, I like to do that. So yeah, uh, Board Game Blitz has been running for five and a half years now. That is a bi-weekly podcast. It is 30 minutes long and I continue to be shocked at the depth of conversations that uh, Ambie and I are able to have in just 30 minutes. I don't understand how we do it, um, mm-hmm. but it works really well and people still seem to like the short format. It uh, helps us kind of stay on topic. We can't really go on tangents, but you know we can go on tangents elsewhere because we do also stream on Twitch mm-hmm. um, and there we can talk about whatever we want for as long as we want. Uh, I stream on Tuesday evenings at the very least. Ambi streams on Thursday evenings um, and then also during the day, during the week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm also on the Dice Tower as a video contributor. Uh, I do a bi-weekly show over there called Dice Tower Tonight, which is a live stream show on YouTube, um, co-hosted by Eric Summerer. And we just nerd out together and talk about <laughs> board games and other random awesome. stuff for an hour every two weeks. And it's delightful. Fantastic. Um, and it's an interactive show. We always play games that involve the live chat and, uh, our, our viewers tend to really enjoy those games, or at least they tell us they do. So um, I like that quite a bit. Um, I've done, I've done, I've dabbled in other things and I've guested on other things. Um, I'm also part, uh, our Twitch channel is part of the Tabletop Live Network, which is a collaboration between a number of Twitch streamers who stream board game content and are dedicated to improving diversity and inclusion in awesome. board game media. That's um, and yeah, and that's been really cool. There's a Tabletop Live Network uh, marathon that is 24 hours long every month, last Saturday slash Sunday of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's literally 24 hours nonstop board game streams back to back to back. Every streamer streams for two hours and then raids into the next channel, meaning they send all of their viewers yes. into yep. the next stream. The good um, kind of raid, which I just yes. learned about because I only yes. knew about the bad kind of raid. So yeah, I'm as yeah, Daniel are- trying to learn this Twitch stuff. So yeah, like yeah, yes, yeah. The Twitch stuff can be hard to wrap your head around, but raiding generally is a good thing. It's hey, we're done streaming, and so rather than just letting our viewers disappear into an ether, let's send them to another wonderful streamer that they may not know. And so right. it's a really good way to form and like build up community, um, and that's really nice because I think in some parts mm-hmm. of board game media especially in the past it has felt more competitive and right right for those of us or the people that i know that stream on twitch it is not at all like people are very cognizant of when other people are streaming and try not to stream over one another obviously there's going to be overlap there's a lot of streamers but like mm-hmm. and they're always you know and like yeah looking for who to raid and who to support and all of that so it's it's really honestly pretty lovely that's awesome that's awesome um very cool. Very cool. Yeah, no, I'm just learning about all of this, all of the Twitch, you know, how exactly this stuff works and stuff. And it's all very, uh, yeah, it's all very interesting to me. <laughs> and <laughs> some of it is like way less confusing than I thought, but then other parts of it, I'm just like, what? <laughs> so we're going to learn. We're going to learn. Danielle assures me it'll be fine. She understands it will. what she says. So. I mean, it's... <laughs> Ambie and I, we started streaming on Twitch four or five years ago, but we were only streaming sporadically for, mm-hmm. until the pandemic hit. And then once the pandemic hit, streaming also kind of became an outlet for me and it became the yeah, way I could course. socially interact with people because mm-hmm. talking to chat was 
supplemented social interaction in a way that I didn't think it, I didn't know that it would, but it did. So like, even though I wasn't hearing people's voices, I was still talking to them and they were talking back to me. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. that basically helped keep me sane (laughs) for a lot of the (laughs) pandemic. And honestly, I love it. I love being, I love live content specifically, which I think is kind of rare. A lot of people seem to prefer pre-recorded and edited content. And I totally get that. Like, it's nice to be able to edit things out and fix it and shorten it and whatever else. But I, I don't like, uh, I don't, I fill my time up with too much stuff. And so I like being able to just do the thing and then be done with the thing. <laughs> right, right. No, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, I, I do as little post-production on this as possible. And I mean, it's still more than doubles the time I spend on the podcast because I have to edit it. Um, you know, uh, yeah, to make sure that it's, it's okay. So, um, yeah, yeah. so I, that is one of the interesting things about the, about the idea of live streaming is that you just, you're just doing it and then there's no editing cause you did it. So yeah. The one thing that I will give you, the one piece of advice that I will give you is okay. that yeah, I'm here no it. matter how much you troubleshoot and do plan for all of the things you will have audio issues. And I like, <laughs> it's not an issue of the equipment you have or the settings you set. I promise you, you, there will be days where you will have audio gremlins show up in ways you've never seen them before. I've been doing this for literally years and I, I've gotten really good at troubleshooting audio on the fly uh-huh. because it, it never ceases like, sometimes I'll open Skype and Skype will change audio settings in other programs. And I'm like, but why? And also how? And yeah, yeah, it just, so just know that it's going to happen and try and keep your cool when it does, because it'll stress you out far more than the chat. (laughs) Right, right, right. That's one of the things I've loved about. It's funny you say that. Like it's one of the things I've loved about Zencaster. It's what we're recording on now. I've mentioned that to the listeners before, but you know, it just, it syncs everything up. I record it. It always remembers my audio settings, but I bring that up to say that, as you mentioned, audio gremlins, when we first logged in tonight, you were talking and you weren't coming through my headphones. And I'm like, what the heck? And for the first time in a year, it changed. And I have no idea why. <laughs> like, what? what Wait, so maybe the gremlins so, yeah. are actually attached to me. It's kind oh, of, maybe it is. <laughs> you know, like, it's like a Doctor Who thing. Like, they're invisible and they're on my back and I can't see right. them, but they're there. Like, I maybe maybe I am the, the thing that I... <laughs> Remember how I talked about wanting to have you on our stream? Maybe cancel that. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Then no, that seems fair, honestly. <laughs> Need you breaking our stuff, Crystal. Jeesh. Yeah. Um, I've been sabotaging well, everyone secretly for years, yes. and no one knows it. <laughs> the truth comes out on building the game. Um, so exclusive. Uh, you heard it here yes. first, folks. <laughs> so. Uh, we are, we're going to talk about a topic now. Um, you, uh, I asked you what, what type of games maybe you wanted to talk about and you had suggested, um, uh, you know what? I'm going to let you say how you suggested it. Uh, cause I want to make sure you give the, uh, I want to make sure you, you say what you want to talk about the way you want to talk about it. Um, okay. so that I don't mess it up. So, so what, what, what are we going to talk about tonight? Well, so you had asked me, you know, like what? you'd kind of given me a prompt of like what game mechanics or other things in board games um, do I really like? And Mm -hmm. at first my thought process was things like, well, I really like worker placement games and other things like that. But I was like, I want to do something that's a little bit more me, if that makes sense. Like a lot of people like worker placement games, you know, it's true. 
<laughs> They're great often. And so um, I wanted to talk about a, a topic that I don't think I've actually touched on in depth anywhere, uh, even in my own content. And that is adventure driven or story driven or storytelling games, games that form mm -hmm. a narrative of some kind, whether the game is providing the narrative or whether it kind of leads you to providing the narrative yourself with mm -hmm. whatever it gives you. Um, mm -hmm. I tend to fall in love with games like this pretty hard when I play them. Um, I also tend to not always come back to them super often because sometimes those experiences are, it's, it's not like, it's not a play over and over kind of a thing for me, depending. Right, um, right. But they tend to be some of the most memorable experiences that I've had in gaming. Um, mm -hmm. And so I figured it would be an interesting topic to touch on. I, I love that. You know, and I, and I know what you mean. I mean, so I haven't played a ton of those games, but it, I, I realize now that I'm actually working on one of those games right now. <laughs> so that's, that's funny. Nice. Uh, when I was like, I haven't, but yeah, so we're uh, the one I mentioned, uh, uh, Oh, I haven't talked about another show. I talked about that at our weekly board game meetup that we do for accountability on the BTG discord. So, Hey, plug for that. Come back to that folks. Uh, it was real great. Uh, but anyways, um, so uh, I'm working on one of those type of games. But what what I, I understand the whole like not coming back to them constantly, because when I have played those type of narrative storytelling games, like they really I mean, like any sort of game that's super theme heavy, that, that really like that takes a lot. Right. Like you feel that it's not just like worker placement. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, you know, it's right. Like it, it takes a toll on you as you play the game in one way or another even if it's positive, I think. Absolutely. And what's interesting about it is it's very, I think it's very malleable in the same way that something like worker placement is like you could use storytelling or a narrative and kind of do a whole bunch of different things with it. And I think as time has progressed and as board game publishers have you know, increased staff and um, started working on larger projects. We've seen more of these games come out. In fact, we have, there's even more of them coming out as we speak or being mm -hmm. announced. Mm -hmm. Like there's a whole bunch of games coming up in the near future that I think fit within this category. Um, mm -hmm. You know, stuff like Return to Dark Tower would count or A Thousand and One Odysseys or Artisans of Splendent Vale. Like even mm -hmm. games that I don't mm -hmm. know a whole lot about yet. I'm like, this is going to fit in that category right, for right, sure. Right. And it also is upsetting because some of these games are very expensive and I want all oh, of them. Right, right. Oh yeah. Some of them are super but expensive. Like, I can't even imagine the amount of work that goes into some of these games. Like even knowing some of the work that goes in, I still can't imagine the full breadth right. of how right. these things get created. Well, especially, you know, when you're looking at games where like the narrative and the story comes fully from the game, right? Um, you know, the game I'm working on, it's like, this the the story comes from the prompts that you get within the game but like you are making the story right there's a beginning and there's an end you're gonna make the story happen but the prompts do it right whereas but so, some of the storytelling games i've seen are like you see this in legacy games as well right where like mm -hmm. um in fact i was just talking to one of my friends and they had played clank legacy i think okay and like the amount of content they talked to like they were like you make a move and then you read a paragraph and then you make another, and then you read a paragraph. <laughs> it's like, how much content goes into these? Like, oh my gosh. I mean, like, that, that you make a, you bring up a good point. And it's actually, I think one of the reasons that some players bounce off of these types of games, because mm -hmm. I think there, there are a lot of people that come to games for the game, like for the, 
not necessarily to win, but to compete or to, right, right. you know, whether you're competing against the game itself or the other players, I think that experience is what some people are looking for. Um, I tried to get a friend of mine to play uh, Forgotten Waters with me, which I really mm-hmm. love. But like that game is very slow paced. If you're looking to yeah. play a game, like you want to get right, into right. a game, Forgotten Waters is not that. It right. is, especially if you're using the voiced narrative, which is so wonderful, by the way. But like, <laughs> yeah, like that's a slow game, really. Right. And I hadn't even realized it. I was if so in love with that game that until I taught it to this one friend of mine who was just sitting there utterly bored, I was like, oh, not everybody wants the same experience out of this that I do. <laughs> Well, I think I think here's an assessment. If you're the type of person that skips every cutscene in video games, this probably isn't for you, right? That's a really good comparison. And I am definitely the person who like never skips cutscenes. <laughs> so that all reads completely well. Like I want to know every bit and right. detail of the story. It's why a video game like Hades actually is able to grab me, even though roguelikes are not a genre of video right, game that I right. tend to like because the story is so compelling. Right. And for me, it's it's kind of it's kind of in between because I, I make that joke, but I love storytelling and story-driven games. Uh, yet I skip 90% of cutscenes. If it's a game, if it's an action-based game and I don't care about the story, right? Um, I will skip every cutscene because I just it doesn't matter to me. But like when I play a game like Firewatch or something like that, mm. I will watch every single interaction because like I want to see like I the story is why I'm playing the game, right? So it kind right. of does like it's like are you in the mood for like crunch or fluff, you know, or a combo of both? And like if you're in if you're really in the mood for crunch, then fluff or the combo, that's not for you that time, right? Um, I'm I'm definitely a fluff girl. <laughs> like, I want that fluff. Give me that fluff. And, see, and I, you... I honestly can do any. Like all of those things are fun to me, depending on the how well the game is done and the setting, you know, and, and is the theme exciting? Because like there are games, Sensory Spice Road is one of the best examples. That's a fantastically designed game. The mechanics are good, and I I I don't like it. I don't even like it a little bit because it's boring to me. There's no theme. Like I, I like <laughs> I'm like, you might as well be just exchanging cubes for cubes. Like, that's basically what you're doing. Like, just call it what it is, right? There's no theme here. I have the most perfect story to to, to share about that specifically. I was at Dice Tower Con a number of years ago down in Florida, and I had never met Emerson Matsuchi in person at that point. I would Mm -hmm. consider him a friend now. We have hung out at a number of conventions. He is, first off, the most lovely human being on the planet, for those of you who have not met Emerson. I've not met Emerson, no. Uh, uh, Roy Canaday and some other friends who knew Emerson, like we all went to dinner together and this is the mm-hmm. first time I'm ever meeting him. And Roy knows me and my game tastes well. And he knows he's heard me say that I hate Century Spice Road. <laughs> so we get to dinner and this is the first time I'm meeting Emerson and who the nicest human on the planet. And Roy goes, Hey, Crystal, what are your thoughts about Century Spice Road? <laughs> oh. And so I paused for a moment and I, 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 of course, like blushed a little. And I was like, I really love Spectre Ops. <laughs> I, was like, I, was like, I was like, let's name another game of Emerson's that I do like and try and do it. And of course, Emerson oh. was a complete gentleman about it. And it has been a funny story right, right, that I've right. told ever since. But like, right, right. yeah, no, I, I agree that Century Spice Road is entirely boring, even though it is a very well-designed game. Yeah, yeah. I, honestly, if that had an interesting theme, I think I'd be hooked on it. 
Like, but for me, like that, that little layer of theme matters or like, you know, I don't know. It could also just be completely themeless, but then you have to like, tell me it's themeless. Like Century Spice Road, I feel like tries to pretend it has a theme, but it does. I mean, it does, right? I get that it has a theme, but everything feels so like it doesn't matter to the, (laughs) the theme doesn't really matter. You could literally be anything. Like, make it robots and make them, like, gears or something. And I'll be excited because then they'll fit together. But, like, I don't know. I just didn't – it did not grab me. Um, it's hard for me to, like, very specifically say that I want one thing or another because um, there's games like Dice Forge where they really tried to layer on an interesting theme. And uh-huh. I think the theme is completely pointless. Like yeah, I can barely, yeah. I've read it multiple times and it won't stick in my brain at all because it has so little to do with what you're actually doing right, in the game. Right, right. And I love Dice Forge. I love playing that game, but right. the theme means nothing to me. And so then right. I'm like, do I really want people putting theme on things? Like, yes, I do. I want theme, but sometimes it just doesn't work. Yeah. Sometimes I will say that like, and I, th- I see this a lot in like, f- like fantasy type themed games where they're like, it's like. Like, say Dice Forge. I actually have Dice Forge, but I haven't played it yet. But I I don't care what the theme is on Dice Forge. I'm sold on the gimmick of yes. the, the Dice Forging, right? But, like... I, I love I, a good gimmick. I really right? do. Oh, yeah, me too. Me too. We're all <laughs> supposed to be talking about storytelling games. And we're talking about, like... We'll get there. It's know, fine. Mechanical <laughs> gimmicks. It's fine. It's great. Um, But, no. So, like, I, um, I feel like... Um, I feel like... Uh, you see this a lot in fantasy themes where they instead of not tacking on like because it used to be like every euro was just like let's just tack on like traders in the mediterranean right like nobody cares but Agrarian now farming okay right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but now it's like oh no we need a theme so then they're like we're gonna make our own fantasy setting with, like all this details and like and sometimes, like, the only time that actually matters to me is if it, makes, it means the art looks really cool, and then yeah. the art will draw me in. But, like, if it doesn't, then, like, I don't really care, you know? Like, um, though, that said, Century Spice Road does have incredibly beautiful art. Um, it's it just does. art that's not interesting to me. So while I can appreciate how beautiful it is, it's just not exciting. Um, so so anyways, I guess I guess what I'm saying is, like, those themes actually turn me off more when it's, like, I tried to make this theme be exciting by like making this huge fantasy world and all these terms you have to real remember, remember and stuff. And I'm like, just call it mana, just call it magic. Like, like it's cool to have like quirky things, but like with weird names and stuff, but if they don't like, I don't know, like it, it I, it's such a personal cha- taste thing. It is. It's, it very much it's is. really like, but, um, but that for me is like a big, like, the theme needs to be exciting to me. Um, and I think that's what I get with a lot of video games where if it's just like an RPG style game, like if it's Zelda then I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I care about these characters, like this theme, but if it's just like some random, like dungeon crawler, I don't care. Like I just want right. to click the buttons. Let me click the buttons, you know? <laughs> so if we wanted to spin this toward storytelling games, I think that's part of the reason why some of the more modern like games that tell stories have been so interesting to me, because a mm-hmm. lot of them do tend to have themes that you don't see elsewhere in board yeah. games. Yes. So and stuff that uh, is like, cool. yeah. So I think a really good example of that is fog of love, which yeah. is a relationship simulator. And 
it the game doesn't necessarily provide a singular story to you, but it gives you all the pieces of a story and you formulate that story as you play the game. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's a happy ending and sometimes it isn't just like a real relationship, but all of the cards uh, have these scenarios on them that would come up in a real relationship and you have to, you know, work through them with the per- person you're playing it with. Um, I've played right, it a number right. of times with one of my best friends and she and I always have such fun with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I that's one that I've I've heard of. I would love to try it with my wife sometime, but like I'm also like, I don't know, like playing it with like someone you're married to to me feels very real. Like I I refused. I when my husband and I were still together, I would I don't think I ever would have played it with him. Like I don't. It's yeah, it's too close to real life in that regard i think i think playing it with someone you're close with but not in a romantic relationship with is probably the best way to do that (laughs) that makes sense right because of like what if like i don't know what the kind of things that come up but like i'm thinking like let's say like some like constant problem you and your spouse have is what comes up and you're like oh great like let's talk about this while we're playing this board game that's gonna yeah that's, that's that's great let's do that you know, and like, I think even like my wife and I have a fantastic relationship, like, but like, but still like that, like, that doesn't sound fun to me, <laughs> you yeah, know, no. like, because obviously <laughs> we have a good relationship, but like, we also have like, you know, like things that annoy us, you know? So like, it's, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Like it's, um, plus there is the risk of like a game like that, like when you're playing it with somebody who you're romantically involved with, right? I feel like if the outcome is sad, like that's like, it, I guess like that just feels like that would hit very close to home. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Like, I think um, it would be harder to leave those feelings in the box, so to speak mm-hmm. after the fact. Whereas when I'm right. playing with a good friend, it is much easier to box everything up at the end of yeah. the game, yeah. literally yeah. and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That makes sense. I will say that in the before times, uh, Eric Yurko and I did discuss the the possibility of he and I playing Fog of Love at a convention, like in a very public space and making it as awkward as possible. Like we're just good <laughs> friends, obviously, but like that was an idea that we had floated around at one point. Uh-huh. We never got to make it happen, but maybe someday. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Well, see, that's a different kind of awkward, though, right? Like, that's just yes, public that's awkward. That's intentionally awkward. Yes. Which intentionally is awkward different. is the difference. Yes, you're right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, storytelling games aren't, I mean, Fog of Love, oh, it's so funny. Think Fog of Love is really not that new anymore in the scope <laughs> of board <laughs> games. But, like, there's oh, even older board games that tell stories that I think, I, I, I guess most people wouldn't consider necessarily a storytelling board game, but I kind of do. Um, I think something like Betrayal at House on the Hill, which is now a modern classic, is a good example of that. Um, It was one of the very first games that I got introduced to when I got into the hobby in 2007. And I fell in love with that game immediately. Disclaimer, that game is so broken and it makes me so angry half the times I play it. And I know that and it's fine. And the expansion... Uh, the Widow's Walk expansion did not fix it. In fact, it made things worse, and it made me very angry that that happened. Like you're like I you had that. one job expansion, one job. That's what I, I swear. I was like, oh man, I was like, it's not going to have all the broken rules and confusion and whatnot, and it was worse. It was worse somehow, and I just was so frustrated. But guess what? I'll still play Betrayal, even knowing that I'm going to probably get frustrated depending on what haunt gets chosen, because it creates a fun 
story. Like you go in as these random people exploring a haunted house that you don't know the layout of. And then all of a sudden spiders are coming out of the walls and they're also aliens and who knows what else. And it's just like, (laughs) it makes for a really fun experience, even if you are completely set up to lose. Um, Right, right. Right. And I did get to play through Betrayal Legacy with some friends um, like a few months before the pandemic. Um, and that was a really neat experience as well. I, I had some frustrations with how it ended, but obviously I'm not going to get into those for spoilery reasons. Right. That's um, fair. But the that, that but Betrayal Legacy, you know, was just like story on top of story already. So, yeah, that was really neat, too. Nice. So what are like what for you like is... What's most important, you know, for the, for the storytelling games, like, like for, from a designer perspective, right? Like, cause you know, mm-hmm. a lot of our listeners are board game designers. Like, what do you think are some of the main things that you need to, you need to get correct or you need to really focus on if you want, in your opinion, like, um, to make a storytelling, a storytelling game that's going to work, um, you know, on, on, on a good level. Um, Yeah. Does that make well, sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, I think, well, there's a couple different ways to look at it because there are some storytelling games where you are following a story that another character in the game or otherwise is it's, it's happening to them or mm-hmm. you are the character that the story is happening to and kind of games go both of those directions. And I think in either instance, the, the story has to be compelling and there have to be stakes involved generally. Mm-hmm. And right. I think just based on their nature, board games tend to have like a win condition, for instance, those states are already kind of baked in to some degree, but you still have to give me a reason to care, whether that's about myself or the character that I'm controlling. And so um, I think there are a lot of designers who can probably conceptualize stories, but unless they are, also writers it can be really difficult i think as a game designer to write a strong narrative and so right right partnering with people who have those skill sets is really essential and i know publishers have been doing that like i know calvin wong has um helped with some games like especially for fantasy flight and the twilight imperium universe and things like that Mm -hmm. like which seems right like these you know people who are designing and developing games are realizing, Ooh, if we want to put story in here, we should hire people who are really good at telling stories and then work those into the games that we're building and developing. Um, Yeah. Yep. No. And I know um, I'm good friends with banana Chan and she does a lot of that as well. Um, And actually for the game that I'm working on right now, um, being, being a storytelling board game, like slash RPG, like the first thing I did was, was take the idea to to a, to an RPG designer who I could you know and writer who I could say like let's figure this out together and and so her and I uh, Hannah Schaefer are are working on it together and like it's been really helpful uh, to have like you know um, somebody who is like really like when it comes to writing and comes to these ideas for this it's just like an idea machine right like things that I would never think of and I'm like oh my gosh like this is like and then you've got somebody who helps to focus on some of the mechanical sides to bring a board game perspective it's it's really neat. Right. And so I strongly advocate for designers for that type of pairing. So it's nice to hear you say that as well, that like that type of thing really, you know, cause as an original designer, like when I was making games, like it never occurred to me that like, I might want like a writer to help with something. Right. Like it just, I was yeah, focused you, you on how does this game play and the mechanics and then meeting banana actually was one of the things that helped me realize like, 
wait, you do just like a ton of like writing for these games and stuff in addition to design. And, um, and then I worked with her on a couple of projects and I was like, Oh wow. Like, this is amazing. Like, this is so freeing to be able to like have somebody else that can help with this and like understands it better than I do, you know, and, uh, and I can learn from and yeah. So yeah, I, that, that's such great advice, such great advice. And I mean, Nikki Valens is another really good example of somebody who is a, clearly a really gifted storyteller. And at this mm-hmm. point, any basically any game they design or work on, I'm immediately interested in, which is why Artisans of Splendid Vale is at the like top of my brain right now, because I'm so mm-hmm. excited about that game launching on Kickstarter. <laughs> but honestly, uh, Nikki's game Legacy of Dragonholt is probably my favorite example of any game in this genre. And it's for all intents and purposes, it's barely a board game as most people would think of a board game. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, like there, there's a map and there are tokens and things, but like, it's really more, it's, it's more like a solo RPG that you can play with multiple people in my estimation. Um, And that's not a criticism in any way, shape or form. Oh, of course, of course. Clearly you're, you're, I mean, (laughs) obviously you're gushing about it. So. Right. But I'm just like, like, yeah, it's made so with, by a board game company, but it doesn't really feel like a board game, but it creates right. so, like that that game. I don't think I actually cried, but I think I came close to it. And that doesn't happen in board games very often. Is that like, a, is there like, um like, is there a win-lose condition in that? Or is it just telling the story? Because that's a, something also that's interesting to me is like, is when is it just a story? And when is it like a win-lose, you know, condition? So there are different endings to Legacy of Dragonhold, some of which I think you would consider to be wins and some losses and some that are kind of in between. And those are affected by the player telling the story? Okay. Absolutely. It's it's really, Legacy of Dragonhold is a really, really cool, beefed up, choose your own adventure game is really how I would right. describe it. Like, Which that reminds you're reading me like, through, yeah. So, sorry, keep going, keep going. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You're uh, reading through paragraphs of text and making choices and doing skill checks based on skills that your character has built up from doing other skill checks. So, okay. it, yeah, it's like taking that choose-your-own-adventure genre and gamifying it even more. Right, right. It made me think of House of Danger, I think it was. Yeah, the, yeah. one of the actual branded... I know I shouldn't say choose-your-own-adventure yeah. when it's not choose-your-own-adventure, right. but... Whoa. Trademark. I know, right? What I don't even know what the generic term. I'm sure there is probably a generic term for that, but like, choose your own adventure is just so ubiquitous at this point. It's very yeah, much like adventure Kleenex, you know? by your choice. <laughs> yeah, there but are um, in skates, not rollerblades, Crystal. Um, House of Danger <laughs> is super fun. Like, I never played it. But my friend Rob, the the former co-host of this show, him and his wife just loved it. They said it was so much fun. I actually played um, a bunch of it live on stream about a year ago uh, to raise money for Extra Life. And -hmm. what I did is I got the chat in the live chat involved. And anytime I was doing a dice roll to check a skill in that game, the dice rolls are not very exciting. You roll like basically a single D6. And then based on the number that you get rolled, you either pass or fail. And I was like, that's kind of boring. So what I did is I would uh, I would always roll the die three times and I made the chat vote on which result was the one we were going to take before I rolled Ah. so that way chat had some like weird agency in how the game progressed and oh man did we fail some skill checks like they would always (laughs) pick the one that failed and it was so funny like it just made it that much more enjoyable for me to play through like it's that that okay that's another I I'm a genius apparently because I just inspired myself to, to say like a good story game also 
is still enjoyable when the story, like when the story falls apart or when you're failing, you know, whatever you're supposed to do within the right, story. Right, and right, right. You're right. still having fun, even though things aren't going clearly as you had intended. Like mm -hmm. if the game is still enjoyable at that part, that that to me seems like a success. And for the record, I'm not a genius, like at right. all. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to disagree with you, so... <laughs> Um, what, what, how, what are your feelings about, like, speaking of like, you know, cause I think that's fantastic. Like, I think that's true for any board game. Like if, if I can be getting my butt kicked at a board game or any sort of game and still having a good time, that's a win. Like that, that means that the game is really good um, Absolutely. because, because, you know, board games are meant to be competitive, right? RPGs sometimes are competitive, like and storytelling game same way but like the idea that um the idea that like you can like be going against what you're trying to do which is trying to win and just be in destroyed and thinking this is so fun that's great like that is great um, and i think that's why this genre of games appeals to me specifically so much because obviously winning is fun but for me, gaming is less about competing and more about the experience. And so storytelling mm -hmm. games provide often a more enjoyable experience than some that's, games yes. that don't have any narrative. And so I think yeah. that's why they resonate with me so much. That makes that makes a lot of sense. I always joke that's the reason I won't play like a three hour Euro because there's no there's nothing exciting about the game like theme wise. And if I lose, I just honestly feel like I wasted three hours because like yes. it probably wasn't that enjoyable anyways. Um, so here's here's my next question then. So thinking about like, you know, you're saying having fun even if you're losing, like have you played any storytelling games where like in the end the storytelling game will, will just complete? There'll be a completion to the story, but there's no, there's no win or loss. It's really just like, and I'm not saying like good endings, bad endings. I'm just saying like you just, you make it through the story. Like, what, what's your feeling on that? I, I'm curious. Like you basically, you do the experience and then, and that's, that's the reward, right? We did this cool experience together and now we're done. It's not about, did we succeed or, well, I guess, yeah. I don't Most know. Go ahead. Of, yeah. I think, well, cause here's the thing. And this is probably something I imagine that board game publishers and designers might struggle with is I think in most instances, there is a win-loss condition included in almost all of these games, possibly because they feel like they have to. Because right, there right, right. are gamers out there who will, you know, I mean, obviously people are always going to complain regardless of what you do. But I think, you know, how is this a game if there is no way to win kind of, you know, that that is a thing that people would say. Um, but like, even if there is a win and loss condition for me, like Pandemic Legacy, for instance, technically, you know, there's a number of, there, depending on how you do during the campaign, you get mm -hmm. a score at the end. But Pandemic Legacy, for me, while we wanted to succeed, obviously, it's a cooperative game and winning as a group feels really good. It was mm -hmm. about the experience and the story. And right. in, for any, I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm going to make that very clear. Even though Pandemic Legacy Season 1 released a number of years ago, anyone who has played it know that there knows that there is one particular month in that 
that game that everybody loses their collective minds together. And I've, heard, I've never I, played it, but I've heard that. Yes. Yes, there is. And I'm not even going to say what the month is because I'm not going to even spoil that for people who don't know it. But like, if you talk to someone who's played that game, they'll be like, oh yeah, that month. And everybody's like, uh-huh. And like, that has stuck with me for literal years. Like, that is what is cool is that it was the story. Like, I don't remember what, 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 what cubes we cleared in that game in particular at all. Like, I don't remember the mechanics that were going on around that event, but that event has stuck in my head for years because it was so interesting and compelling. Mm -hmm. That's cool. That's cool. I, I, one of the things that got me thinking about that was the, the storytelling game that we're working on is like, there's, you basically have a journey to complete and like, it's, you know, you're, I mean, like the, the, the whole conceit is you're going to complete the journey. Right. But it's like, how did you complete it? And like, how do you feel about completing the end and getting the answers you were looking for? Right. Um, so there's no real way to lose unless you like give up on the journey. Like, right. Okay. Um, but like, you know, the idea being that like the win condition is completing the journey in a satisfactory way. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I was just curious your thoughts about something like that, because it's, it is outside of the, that feeling of, oh, we have to have a win-lose condition, right? Um, where RPGers, like pure RPGers would completely disagree with that, right? Especially when you've got people doing like indie RPGs and stuff, right? Because a lot of those aren't about winning, right? It's about, get me through this experience and let me, let me take something away from it, right? Yeah. I, this is a kind of weird example because it has nothing to do really with storytelling, but like concept the the game that's you know kind of like oh, Pictionary, yeah, but yeah. whatever in yeah. the rule book for concept there's a box that says i don't i'm paraphrasing here but it's like hey as we were play testing the, this game we realized that it was actually more fun to play as an activity and so if you don't want to keep score don't keep score and i mm -hmm. love that that yeah. note is in the rule book i have never played concept the way it, the scorekeeping <laughs> way not once ever and i still enjoy it every single time i play it and i'm a good i'm one. grateful for that note because it kind of feels like the designer is giving me permission to just have a fun experience yeah like yeah i don't need the designer's permission but it feels nice to have it you know <laughs> yep yep well and it's just nice to be like we didn't even have to house rule this they just told us how to play it and they said it'll be yeah. fun and they were right they were right. Like, hey, look, you know, we created the scoring system, but really, you can throw it out the window. It's fine. <laughs> so before before we move on from the storytelling game topic, I just want to make sure, and then I've got a surprise for you at the end for something I'm going to ask you to do, and it's going to be great. Be worried. Okay. It's cool. It's cool. No, it'll be great. It'll be great. I'm very um, excited already. <laughs> so, all right. So, um, so like, what do you or like, what, what do you feel like are big no-nos or red flags in storytelling games like for designers to watch out for, right? Other than like, hey, dummy, don't just not be a writer and try and write this huge story on your own without like somebody who's, you know, actually knows what they're doing. Um, like what are some other things uh, that really jump out to you? I can think of one, but I'm going to let you go first. Um, okay. Because you very well may say the same thing I'm thinking. So, yeah. It, I think it depends. It, I think one of the big no-nos is trying to create a story that is to some degree based in the real world, but with about experiences that you have no personal experience with yourself. Right, so right. even, I mean, obviously that's where bringing other people in can be really beneficial, but we've seen board games about Europeans farming a hundred times, but like, 
storytelling games, you, you, you can only bring what you can bring to a game. And if you're telling a story, having a variety of voices is often important. If you have multiple characters and any single person trying to write a variety of characters, especially characters that come from different backgrounds, is right, going to be... Right a struggle at best and potentially disastrous because yeah. you, you don't know what you don't know. And it's, you know, it's not a criticism. It's just a fact that I can't write from the perspective of somebody who has lived an experience different from my own, as well as I can write an experience of somebody very much like me. So I right. think don't write about the things that you know about or are passionate about. And then if, you have an idea for a thing and you think it's really good, but you don't have experience with it. Find somebody else who does and let, let their genuine experience help guide you. Because I think that is where a lot of these games tend to shine. And I do think that's why a lot of games end up in fantasy worlds, because then you can kind of be like, well, it's not real anyway, so we can do whatever we want. But right, right. right. Though you still the voices can still be beneficial in those instances. Well, because you still end up with things like a race of evil elves that just happen to be black, right? Like, I mean, that's yeah. when you end up with these evil races and things like that, like where there may have been zero harm intended when they came up with it, but like there's there is real damage to be done from things like that, yeah. right? So, there are still tropes and stereotypes even in fantasy settings. And yeah, yeah. yeah. And there there are some real bad ones. No, that was gonna be my big thing, was you know, like to to remind people to like you know you can tell any story but you need to have people at the table who when, when you're when you're making it who understand the perspective of that story um especially if it's you know a different culture or you know a different really i mean a different any in anybody with a different perspective is i think was a nice way to say it um yeah. to just make sure they're included in and you know maybe you feel like that's not like you're like oh no 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 this is a perspective of like like a character that I completely know um, and I get it. And I would still challenge you. I would still challenge you to, um, to go seek out someone who is like a sensitivity coach or something like that, you know, or a consensitivity consultant. Um, because I'll tell you what, they notice things that you won't. Um, and sometimes like I've had with games, cause that's, that's become a routine thing for me. Now, anything I'm working on, that's not just a, um, that's not just like a standard board game. Like I'll take it to a sensitivity consultant and the stuff they'll pick out that I'm like, Oh, well, I would have never thought of that. Like, and it didn't seem like it was a bad thing and they helped me figure it out. Um, and so like, and it, it's not that expensive and it's completely worthwhile. So your dog agrees with me. <laughs> yes, he definitely agrees. <laughs> I, it is, uh, that is the, fr I, you don't know what you don't know. That is, I, I right, use that phrase right. all the time because mm -hmm. I think when people get called out for these types of things, like, hey, this thing is insensitive or whatever for X, Y, and Z reason, they tend to get defensive and it's, it's not all, most of the time, it's not a criticism of the person. It's a criticism of the work. And that's different. Right, right. And like how the person reacts can very much shade the work. In And that's right, why, right. you know, that some of the best designers are the ones who to get feedback like that and internalize it and go, oh, I didn't know that. Let me right. learn more, find someone who can help fix it. And yeah. Like yeah. it's so, it seems so simple, and yet a lot of the time it just doesn't happen that way. You know, to uh, here's a story I'll share from my personal life that has nothing to do with this, but I think illustrates 
why so many people react poorly when you say like, hey, having a race of us, a race of like evil characters could be bad. And people are like, oh, it's fake, blah, blah, blah. And they get they they get upset and they get angry. And something that happened today at my house was uh, I saw this paper that my son, he's in, he's in fourth grade now. Um, I have to think about it because he was in third grade last year, but it was online. So it didn't actually feel like he was. It's right. Confusing. Yeah. No, the past two years so, have been a right. weird blur of both fat time moving incredibly <laughs> slowly and incredibly quickly all at the same time. <laughs> it's awful. Yes. Yeah. So um, he did some work today at school and he like wrote it all like slanted across the paper, his answers. I don't know why. Like, I have no idea why he did it. But the teacher, bless her heart, she just attached the thing to it uh, and said, I need you to redo this work because the penmanship's not great and because you need to use the lines correctly. And then on the paper, she wrote, this is unacceptable for fourth grade level work. And then put a nice smiley face and said, please redo it. Right. Um, and he did. He she, he redid it the right way he should have. No big deal. But when we asked him about it, he got really upset. And like really upset. And I was like, what's going on here? And I realized it's because he was embarrassed, right? He was embarrassed because he, he, he was just in a hurry. He wasn't thinking about it. Um, you know, and again, he hasn't had to turn in handwritten work in a year and a half. Right. right. And he's only nine. So um, the work he was turning in in second grade, he could have gotten away with that 100%. And no one would have called him out for it. Um, and, and it's because he's immature, like, cause he's a kid, right? I don't mean immature in a negative way. It's because right, right. he's a kid. Uh, and he was embarrassed. And you know what? Hey, guess what? <laughs> I would argue that a lot of people that have these super negative reactions, I could think of some some terrible ones that you and I can both think of recently, actually, uh-huh. <laughs> um, to where like their terrible reactions either mean they're awful. Uh, and in this, that case that we're just talking about that, I think does mean that. But so I'm not I'm not pitching that they're not awful. But like, I think that those <laughs> negative reactions that a lot of people get, including probably some people supporting those people, uh, is because they're immature and they're just not very like um, they don't have a lot of um, self-awareness. So when somebody says like, hey, this was wrong, they take it as a personal attack. Right. Yeah. Um, they don't want to hear. They don't want they, they take that as I'm a bad person. And yes. It's, that's, yes. Like, and in some instances, maybe. But in yes. most instances, in some instances, no. Maybe. Like and yeah. this is the one thing is the the minor harm, assuming that it was caused, you know, without knowledge and by mm-hmm. mistake, yep. that is not generally the thing that people will latch on to. It's your reaction after right. the fact. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Which is why involving a lot of people and hiring, yes, like sensitivity and diversity consultants and things like that is important because then you can catch those issues in the design right, process right. and you don't find out about them after your game is on store shelves because at yep. that point there's not much mm-hmm. you can do and you will be embarrassed by that. <laughs> yes, yeah. And you may also lose a ton of money. I, there was an instance a long time ago on the podcast uh, where Rob told the joke and he uh, – uh, he used uh, a word for a European nationality that's like it used to be a common slang word when we were kids. And he didn't even didn't even mean it like negatively, I say, like he just said it because he was referring to that type of thing, not even as a positive thing. And somebody called us out and it was like, dude, you can't say that. And we were like, oh, my gosh, you're right. We literally went back, re-entered the episode and then still tagged the beginning to say we did this. We're sorry. We fixed it. That's the reaction you should have, right? Yes. Thank you. And it's not that difficult to do, which is no. why it seems so right. bananas to me that people right. are. Well, that's, 
that's the thing, right? When when people don't respond that way, if people like are at first are upset, like why is it a big deal? And then you explain it and they're like, oh, okay, right? Still not the ideal reaction, but better than doubling down. I, whenever someone doubles down, I, I, at that point, you, they're just begging you to assume that they had bad intentions to begin with. Um, or well, regardless I, of their original intentions, their intentions at that point are bad. Yeah, so. Yes, right. And just for the listeners, the reason I'm not saying and neither of us are saying that the certain people we're talking about is because I'm not going to give them any press, yeah, no. any press, <laughs> good or bad. Um, if you're not enough. onboarding social media and therefore yeah. you're unaware of what we're talking about, just consider yourself lucky, yes. lucky. and it's fine. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> like, um, let let yeah. some, the rest of us fight the good fight. And <laughs> yeah. But, but anyways, like, so. Um, yeah, I, I, I know there was a little bit of an aside there, but like, it, it's so important that you consider, you consider other people's perspectives. Uh, and I think storytelling games are where that's going to be the most important, right? Because you're telling a story, right? Theme on a board game, it still matters, but I would argue that it matters more when you're trying to tell a story and, you know, and do justice to characters and to people and to stories that, that aren't yours necessarily to tell on your own, right? Absolutely. So, all right. Well, hey, I felt like that was a really fun discussion. I, I appreciate us chatting around there. Yeah. So, so the, the so here's the thing I like to do when I have somebody on the show who's not specifically a game designer because this the part of the show now we would move into is this part called practicing the pitch. And if you're a game designer who's working on a game, uh, you would pitch your game to us, right? Or sometimes I would be like, hey, here's a name and here's a mechanic. Pitch me a game right now, and then they would try and do that. It, it's really up to the person. Sometimes I would pitch a game. But for people who are doing content creation or other parts of the board game industry, what instead I like to say is we've talked about a specific topic, right? We talked about story-driven games. So I want you, Crystal, to tell me if you were sitting down to your perfect storytelling game, what do you think that would look like? Ooh, that's such it's, a It's good a hard question. question, right? It's really hard, it's right? very hard. <laughs> I, oh man. I mean... First off, if there are playable characters, there are female or non-binary characters as options. Yes, yes. Like, yes. That I, like, do I have to play as a female character? No. Do I always play as a female character? No. But do I want that option? Yes. And yes. N- n- nowadays that's more common, but uh, in the past it wasn't. And mm-hmm. I really want to, if I'm feeling my best self and just rocking, you know, womanly power, I want to play as a strong female character. So right, that... Right. is number one i think number two it would be queer (laughs) there would be it would definitely have uh uh, queer themes in some regard and it doesn't have to be romantic necessarily um but i mean legacy of dragonholt is a good example of something like that like there are queer characters in legacy of dragonholt even though the story itself isn't necessarily about that Um, i i like working toward a big goal and like mm-hmm. doing smaller things along the way. So like going That's on good. a journey of sorts where you're doing little things that all lead up to a big conclusion, kind of like a cinematic experience would yeah. definitely be part of it. Um, like even if you know what's coming, like in um, in something like Runebound, where you know where that big bad is and what they are, but you just don't know all the details about them. Like to me, that's really exciting. Like mm-hmm. I'm just going around mm-hmm. completing little quests and then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, there's a giant dragon. <laughs> like that's... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say, I've mentioned the games in the Terranoth world quite a bit. I guess I really do like Terranoth. Um, 
<laughs> quite a bit. Um, I'm trying to think. Because, like, some storytelling games are set in, like, genres that I don't tend to enjoy, even if I do enjoy the games that are set there. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, what the theme would be. I love space a lot. I actually, I, there aren't a lot of storytelling games or any. I mean, I'm sure there might be some that I'm not aware of. But I don't, I can't think of any storytelling games uh, except for maybe... Um, Oh my gosh, what was the one? It didn't do super well. It was a follow-up to something. Uh, it was in the Crossroads um, series from Plaid Hat. Or not Plaid Hat. Uh, is it Plaid Hat? Yeah. Plaid Hat Cross- Crossroads. So not Dead of Winter, but like the, the space station one that they came out with. Oh my gosh, oh, why can't I, I remember, remember that one? When you it, say space uh, in that group, the first thing that pops in my mind is Teens in Space, from no. um, which was part of... Uh, What's that game that I can't remember? Um, Kids on Bikes. Yeah. Gen Z is the game that I'm thinking of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like it's you're on a generation ship and you're playing through multiple generations of people on a generation ship. And but then there's it, zombies. No. Uh, no, no zombies. Oh, okay. Well, actually, I don't know. I haven't played through. So it, it's you said kind it was a crossroads game, and then yeah. you said Gen Z. So I was like, well, Z must be zombie. What the heck else would it stand for? <laughs> Well, you are, I think it starts, yeah, you are Generation Z, like you're the 26th generation, oh, okay. maybe? I could be, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, don't quote me on that, I'm not certain. I only <laughs> played a demo of this, and then the game came out and kind of, I think, flopped a little bit. Um, but, like, I love the concept of that, and so something kind of like that, like, set in space, in this unknown, vast universe where kind of anything is possible and things can be, you know, sci-fi-esque and fantasy-esque, mm-hmm. but kind of with tinges of the real world. I do like things that are, feel based in reality, but kind of are a little bit extraterrestrial. You know, I'm a big mm-hmm. Star Trek fan. Everybody knows that. From, right, 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 right. Follow me on it's Twitter. in your Twitter bio. Yes. Yeah, it's literally, <laughs> I'm like, I love Star Trek. Just know this about me. Um, and obviously there are a lot of things in Star Trek that are not, scientifically possible today but it still feels very human it feels like a very real story even with those um fantastical elements and so yeah i think Mm -hmm. that's all of those things jammed together in one box a a space adventure with with high stakes and a big end goal that's queer and there's strong women uh basically i want star trek discovery the game i guess is what i'm saying nice That sounds great. That sounds great. Well, hey, this has been this has been a fantastic uh, discussion. I've really enjoyed having you on the show. Um, yeah, I, I'm is- so grateful that you invited me, and I this is yeah this has been absolutely lovely. Um, and I hope that you and I get to chat more about this kind of stuff on the future, on the future or in the future, uh, whether it's on the podcast or not. <laughs> Or or on board game adjacent, we could we could chat about all sorts of stuff on yeah. there. So yes, we could literally talk about whatever we want. Um, I mean, if you I need do... someone to talk about right. Star Trek, apparently I'm available. So, <laughs> um, I want to give a shout out uh, for something you did that we didn't mention. Uh, if you're feeling like you want to watch something really fun, I strongly suggest you Google uh, board game tango. Uh, and find oh. the uh, the um, Cell Block Tango, the board game parody that you did with several other people um, who um, I don't know everybody's name off the top of my head. Yes. Uh, I okay. Know so 
Well, first off, I have to give all credit to my my co-host on Board Game Blitz, Ambie Valdez. She is the one yep. who concepted this and wrote most of the lyrics and did all of the video editing. So, like, this is a labor of love for her. And she, if you're not following her specific YouTube channel, Ambie Rona, um, mm-hmm. you should definitely follow her because she has a whole bunch of board game pa- song parodies yeah, there. I, I, this got me to look at some of those, and they're fantastic. Yes. She's so talented. Like, I kind of hope she doesn't listen to this because I know that she, it'll embarrass her. But, like, I I cannot tell you how lucky I am to get to collaborate with her on a regular basis. She is one That's of the awesome. most kind and brilliant and talented people that I've ever had the pleasure of working with. And she and I complement each other in such great ways. Like I'm an idea person. I'm an, I'm a, an outgoing throw stuff on the wall and see what sticks kind of person. But the Mm -hmm. follow through is where I struggle. I don't like, you know, I come up with all the fun ideas and then never do any of them. She sometimes struggles to come up with the fun ideas, but she's so good at executing. And so like, we just, we, we balance each other out in a great way. And she helps push me in the, in the ways I need to be pushed, you know, to get things done. Um, But the, yeah. So we parodied the song from the musical Chicago cell block tango. It's called board game tango. And it is all about board games in which there is deception and betrayal. Um, And in all of the instances uh, we are uh, me, Ambie, uh Monique, Mandy, Suzanne, and Paula are all we all basically betrayed people in different games. And of course mine is Battlestar Galactica because it's my yes. favorite board game. Yes. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. Seriously, y'all go watch it. It's so good. I retweeted it when it first came out, but uh I just it just occurred to me as we were talking, I was like, oh my gosh, we have to talk about that. So yes. Please go check that out. It was so much fun fun to work on recording. Um, Like, yeah. And that's all of our real voices singing, even though uh, Andy's a great singer, but some, I will speak, I won't want to speak for other people, but for myself, I'm not that great anymore. I used to be better. You did fantastic. It was wonderful. (laughs) So so in addition to that, you can also, um, if you want to reach out to us listeners, you can find us at buildinggamepodcast.com. Go to our discord channel there. You can find the link, uh, buildinggamepodcast at gmail.com, 770-TEL-BTG. On the Twitter, best place to find usually pretty much everyone. Uh, you can find uh, Crystal at, at Crystal uh, Dax. Yeah, no, did I just say that wrong? At Crystal, yep, no, you, yeah, it at is Crystal at Crystal Dax. Dax. You got it. Yep. Um, and then uh, you can also uh, find her at Board Game Blitz. Uh, you can find the podcast at, at Podcast BTG. You can find me at, at Jay Slingerland. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you'll come back next week. But until next time, good night. Good night, everybody. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770 BTG. Please don't use the email.